taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Welcome aboard, everyone. Uh, we've been praying for you, our listeners, that this time is uh, uh, in our country and around the world opens up opportunity for you to be able to share uh, your faith and, and the knowledge of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ and what you may learn and, and be able to discuss maybe topics that uh, you hear us talking about. Well, let, let me welcome in the man that always has the right haircut, Brian Chilton. Welcome, Brian. <laughs> well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I, I, I try to get a good haircut. I don't know if it works all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to be trying out some new recording format, kind of like we did last week. Um, but this week, uh, we're back to the original. But uh, sounds like we're going to try to do something for the people, huh? And maybe even get something for YouTube. Yeah, actually, I was talking with... Um, Chris, uh, he was telling us some, some information about uh, some Zoom technology, so hopefully we'll be able to, uh, not only moving forward, uh, maybe not immediately, but hopefully here pretty soon we'll have something available over at our YouTube site uh, to, to coincide with the uh, podcast as well. So um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I have a face made for radio, so I don't know if everyone will want to tune into that or not. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that as it be. <laughs> That's great. Hey, we got uh, we got a guest tonight, and uh, we also have a, a topic kind of continuing from last week: uh, cessationism and continuation uh, continualism. Uh, but uh, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm privileged to uh, welcome with us Chris Berg. Uh, Chris is a good friend of mine. He is uh, all, along with you know, as I am as well. Uh, we're both in the PhD program at Liberty University in the theology and apologetics. He's a little bit ahead of me, though. He is officially now a PhD candidate. Uh, as he's working through, uh, he's already finished the coursework, and I hope to be where he is sometime early next year. Uh, but uh, he is in the dissertation phase, and so very proud of him. Uh, he lives in Durham, North Carolina, a former biologist, and he is also the uh, founder of Spirit and Truth Outreach, uh, which is a student apologetics organization. And so, Chris, we want to welcome you to the Bellator Christie podcast. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's good to, good to be here. Well, first of all, before we, uh, before we move on to our questions and uh, discussing some of the issues that we're going to discuss today, tell us a little bit more about Spirit of Truth Outreach. Sure. So uh, two years ago, I realized that um, essentially there's a lot of groups at, or at the high schools and middle schools uh, in our area, but that they, they struggle often to get non-Christians to show up, honestly. Uh, most of them, you know, you've got your Christians that are there, or they're even having non-Christians come, but they're having trouble reaching them. And so we said, well, there's a lot of people bringing apologetics to the college level. There's almost no one doing it at the high school, middle school level. Uh-huh. So I thought it was ministry, and uh, we started getting invites to places, and they started advertising topics like Does God Exist or Creation Evolution, and uh, you'd be shocked. Groups that started at 12 people jumped to over 80 
in one semester. Wow. I lost wow. salvations left and right. Uh, people who never stepped foot in church, uh, atheists, agnostics, uh, lesbians out of the woodwork to hear an intellectual Christian talk about these issues. Um, and uh, I can share all kinds of fun stories, but um, it's been an amazing time. We got to share the gospel with 4,500 students in two years. Praise and, the Lord. Um, it's been, yeah, oh, it's been amazing. I mean, it really has. Uh, we also do um, podcasts, not podcasts, sorry. We also do uh, <clears throat> online videos as well and uh, articles on our website, sotoutreach.org. And so that's for anybody to just come and enjoy and, and benefit from. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's just a little bit more about us and what we do and why. And you said that was sotoutreach? Yes, sotoutreach.org. Dot org. So uh, we do want to encourage everyone to go check out that material. Chris is a sharp guy. I want to tell you what uh, he is. He is a definitely a theological ninja, as as you're going to find as we move through our uh, discussion today. So, uh, so yeah, he's he's a. And I, I got to tell you, Chris, I told you this off off the air, and I got to tell you on the air. You know, I suffer a little from anxiety, and so I I never went through the university, uh, the campus, and Liberty is a huge university it's a huge campus and so i never will forget chris you took me on a on a tour of the campus showing me where the library was and the different things like that and so i just appreciate you and your willingness uh to uh, be a big help for for uh for me in uh in my in my studies at uh the p at, at the liberty so i just appreciate you and and uh, just a great friend great guy thanks man you too same answer so Curtis, I tell you what, do you want to go ahead and ask the question and we'll kind of we've got about six questions and we're just going to kind of use this as the uh, as just kind of a just a like a just kind of a skeleton to move through our podcast today. So if you want to uh, ask the first question and I'll sure. take the second one and we'll kind of go from there. Sure, sure. Chris, last week we uh, we had a, a podcast we were talking about uh, uh, cessationism and continuation continuationism and we were um we were having a pretty good uh discussion and we kind of uh want we wanted to bring that over into this week's podcast and actually keep it going um keep this discussion going so we can kind of get some more depth into it um so i have a question here uh, uh why do you accept continuationism over cessationism so I think this is very, very important because um, both sides are actually probably going to claim the same thing. And uh, this is actually where we get into theology and theological method real fast. The reason why I accept continuationism is because I firmly believe that it is justified and taught in Scripture. Now, I fully understand cessationists are going to claim the same thing. I, I fully get that, not, not disagreeing there. But that is the reason. It is not because, for example, I've had experiences that I then I've got to just go with those experiences. Not the case. It is not because I have a desire or need for, for example, a personal miracle. I, I do. Um, it would be great if my wife could get a miracle, but that's not why I believe in it. The ultimate basis for all matters of faith and practice must be Scripture. It has to be the divinely authored and authorized written word of God. It's got to be. And when we talk about continuationism, and this is key, and we'll get into some sure later, it can't go beyond that either. And so that is essentially going to be the context, so to speak, of the conversation. Now, 
Uh, we're probably not going to get into exegesis of individual verses tonight. Um, what I will say is this, is there are a number of books that I recommend if people really want to know what is the biblical defense. Uh, Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson, The Gift of Prophecy by Wayne Grudem uh, are two really good ones that people can check out if they want to jump into that exegetical stuff and find out exactly what God is saying in Scripture. Amen. Amen. So D.A. Carson and uh, Wayne Grudem, two heavy hitters there, and they, and they are both accepting the continuationist viewpoint. Yeah, no, I mean, Grudem's going to flat defend prophecy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, even Carson here, showing the spirit theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, uh, has some good stuff on, uh, on all this stuff. So um, now my thing is, though, and I will share this, the one of the big issues that we're going to get into in terms of spiritual gifts and defense is there's typically other theologies that are tacked on, and that typically are accepted as justifying theologies, and that's where we're going to get into some hot water. And I don't know if we want to talk about that now, but um, the big one is going to be the kingdom of God. That's going to be the big, the big theology uh, that is up for debate. And yes, that is an eschatological concept. However, I argue that it's probably the most important one to the church because depending on what a church is going to say on that they're either going to walk into two very different types of uh, churches essentially you know and you, and you know there, there's some big issues especially when you decipher between covenantalism where oh yeah yeah, and, and dispensationalism, you know, with dispensationalism, just for our listeners, dispensationalists, dispensationalists uh, vie for a distinction between the church and Israel and that God still has future plans for Israel, the nation. Yeah. Covenantalists yeah. don't. So that's they, they actually enter more into a symbolic version of biblical interpretation than do dispensationalists. Yeah, well, and, and that's just it. I mean, and I'll actually give another quick comment. I'll, I'll do a little bit of explanation on some, some things here. Um, that's fundamentally one of the main, main issues, and the reason is, is because it all depends on how you interpret Scripture. So that's why I say theological method. I'm going to hold to a non-allegorical understanding of Scripture. doesn't mean Scripture can't use symbolism or metaphor, but what it means is we have to take the text for what it is in the genre and setting that it was written. We can't just rip it out and make it mean something else, and we can't change the meaning. So I'm going to hold to single univocal meaning as well throughout the text, not a multivocal meaning. Um, so when God promised Abraham a land, he promised him a land, period, end of story. And I will say that, yes, if God's going to up and switch that at some point, then we've got to seriously question whether we're allowing God to be called a liar into our doctrine of God and our theology proper. Well, and theologically, uh, we, we can say that, uh, you know, Titus 1-2, it's impossible for God to lie. So there's something squirrely somewhere. Something squirrely somewhere. Well, and something else, too, that I'll, I'll say to Brian is, and I, I don't want to speak for everybody at Liberty, but I will say this. Um, at Liberty, in the classes that I've had, spiritual gifts has come up. And virtually all the professors have admitted that cessationism is virtually hard, if not impossible, to justify out of Scripture. Hmm. And that's a big concession. Um, they, they, a lot of these guys, they said, for example, the uh, verses that talk about we prophesy in part, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a misreading and an eisegesis of that verse to defend cessationism. So I was, I was actually shocked uh, that, that a lot of the guys, they, they weren't necessarily practicing uh, spiritual gifts, but they admitted that defi- defending it from Scripture was really hard, if not impossible. 
which right. kind of goes that, into the camp of what we were talking about last week of a mild or moderate version of a continuationist uh, perspective. Well, this kind of goes into, I, I guess we've kind of already discussed some of these, but second question discusses what, what do you see as the major flaws of cessationism? Uh, how, how would you answer that? Well, a couple of different things. So I think, one, if you're going to go cessationism and you're going to send people onto the missions field, um, the problem is the demons, uh, they, they don't hold cessationism. <laughs> so, right. So you get a problem, and then I think you're essentially underprepared to go on the missions field. Yeah. Um, if you don't have some understanding of spiritual gifts, supernatural realm, etc., um, you'd be ready to get rocked when you go to foreign nations where this stuff is very real, it's very in your face, and you probably don't have a defense against it in terms of one that you know how to walk in. Um, the second issue I would say is this, is that um, it, if, okay, we'll say it like this, if spiritual gifts are indeed real and cessationism is wrong, then we will not be able to live out the threefold mission of the church to the extent that God would have us do. Uh, the threefold mission being uh, from Ephesians and then from the Great Commission, one, to glorify God, two, to build up the body of believers, not the kingdom, but the body of believers, and three, to evangelize. Mm. And I would actually argue that in any situation that you're using spiritual gifts, it should be in those contexts. That it's when we walk out of those contexts that things can get a little hairy. Um, so again, that's a big that's a big one right there. Is if we if we aren't doing what God has asked us to do, then we're not able to truly do His mission the way He set us to do it. Um, additionally, I think uh, the reality is that we can we can essentially gut a supernatural worldview. Um, Throughout the entirety of human history, we've lived in a, the Bible records a supernatural world. Uh, there, there has always been a spiritual realm. Now, I do not agree with certain people, uh, and I, we can get into that maybe later if we want to, who argue for almost an over-supernaturalization of the Bible. Mm -hmm. They do so by pulling in extra-biblical resources uh, to sort of inform the biblical worldview. I don't agree with that. But the biblical worldview is supernatural. There's no question. And it almost sometimes feels like cessationists have basically sterilized that out. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's a big problem because there is no reason to do that. Right. Um, one thing I will say, though, is this, is if we're going to get into why cessationists typically have an issue with spiritual gifts and prophecy in particular, it has to do with this primary key. Um, what is prophecy? And that's why I mentioned Wayne Grudem's book on prophecy is very important on this. Because we've got to understand, and this will get into our NAR stuff when we talk about this hopefully momentarily, that prophetic apostolic commission is, is essentially a granting of exousia, or divine uh, authority. This has only happened for what, what we'll call the, the big OT prophets and the apostles. What this does is this is essentially signified by the way of, and the word of the Lord came to, if you see that kind of phraseology, or Jesus breathed on them, something like that, where they're being given a special dispensation, if you will, spirit, through which they are now deputized to write the very word of God. Um, the problem is that uh, that role is associated often with the role of the prophet. The issue is, once you move into the New Testament, you're getting people other than the big guys being prophets. You're getting Philip's daughters being prophets. You're getting all sorts of prophets going. People are prophesying in the church. Well, what does that mean? Is that is that inspiration? Well, no, it's not inspiration. They don't have the exousia. 
Uh, so what is that? Well, that's one of the things that I think um, theologians, charismatics, uh, continuationists, have to really explain well in order to actually let people know just what's going on. And my, from my point of view, uh, from what I've read, it's basically this. It's that whereas in the, the old times, people didn't necessarily have God directly talking to them. There was a barrier there. Now, there isn't. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God can indeed talk to us. But it's conversational talking. It's not inspired talking. So it doesn't carry the weight and authority because when we communicate it, we're not communicating it in an inspired sense. So last week we made the distinction between using two words, illumination and revelation. And so with revelation, that would be something we would consider with the New Testament writers, the Old Testament prophets, individuals who had that that authority to write down the very words of God. When mm-hmm. God communicates with us now, it's more kind of like an illumination where, as like the Psalm 119 says, uh, he's a light into our paths, a light, uh, you know, light to, a lamp to our feet, light to our paths, guiding us and directing us in the ways that we should go. We even see in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit teaches us about the things of Jesus, pointing us back to Jesus, and in essence, pointing us back to Scripture. So, I think there's a distinction that you made very well there, Chris, that that when we talk about the continued work of God, we're not talking about someone having the authority to add on, tack on more messages to Scripture because the book of Revelation finalized Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, that's yeah. the final product. That's the final revelation of God, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and this gets into a difference in the continuationist camps. Uh, you're going to have Sam Storms, and he's going to essentially argue that all prophecy is revelation, period, end of story. So you're going to have differing views of the definition of revelation, uh, even within the continuationist charismatic camps. And so there are some who are going to argue uh, that it's all revelation, and this is where it gets us into some, some funky water, is, well, once you start saying everything's revelation, it gets real tough to, to say that, like, you know, it's not binding, you know? It gets right. real hard to say that it's not binding. Right. And that falls into what Brian and I were talking about last week was um, defining terms um, mm-hmm. and actually having a, a definition or a, a definitive line of where you draw that line at uh, within your within your um, structure. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, number three, uh, I'm going to ask you this one. Uh, continuationism comes with needed safeguards in place to eschew new, new age theological practices. This is in accordance to John's admonition to test the spirits. With that in mind, what are some of the New Age practices that you see infiltrating the church? We had talked about this last week a little bit about, um, you know, it says in there for us to test these spirits. Well, if, if and test these prophecies and test these, um, these words, and if we're to test them, then, then God is still moving. Because if there's things that we're testing, those would indicate that I- implicitly that there would be false things there, too. Yeah. So this is actually interesting you mention this, because this is the subject of my doctoral dissertation. Wow. So this, <laughs> yeah, this is fundamentally what I've been spending an insane amount of time researching. And uh, I've, I'll give you some insights, and I might even read you some things that, that I've already written here on this, because I'm about, a, about 100 pages into my dissertation. 
And I'm going to be hopefully publishing a book based on this as well. Um, and it's funny you also mentioned testing spirit because uh, unlike well, most people who write on this, they're writing not an academic level. That's fine, by the way. Uh, people can write popular level books, and I'm actually all for it. I, I love the pop books. Um, but we, we do need an academic book at some point. I mean, that's where I think I'm coming into play. And uh, one of the number one things I'm going to do through this is actually develop criterion by which people can do exactly that. So people could get the book, look at the criterion I've listed out, take any practice, anything they see that they have questions about, run it through the criterion, and you'd be able to tell if it's new age or not. Um, so actually, that's kind of interesting you mentioned that, is that's actually exactly what I'm trying to do. Now, what are some of these practices that are devastating? Why are they coming about? Well, first of all, as all heresy starts, it starts with an eisegesis. And uh, there's the verse you might be familiar, probably familiar with it, uh, that God is going to redeem all things, right? If you, if you remember hearing that. And um, essentially, what uh, people are saying is that that means that God will literally redeem everything. That everything can and will be redeemed. This includes New Age aberrant spiritual practices. This, this includes every form of every vile thing out there it can all be redeemed. So first off, that's a mis- that's an eisegesis of the verse. But beyond that, that's one of the main hey, justifiers. Hey, hey, Chris, just just to because because the podcast is on a popular level, let, let, yeah. let's let's define. Let me define this real quickly. Exegesis is allowing the text to speak for itself, and eisegesis is is making the text say something that it was never intended to say, putting our reading into the text something that's not there. So, just as a, a bit of a clarification point, there, uh, go, go ahead. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, and so essentially uh, what we get is um, we have, and this is where it gets scary, we have entire church branches and movements that have said the following, that fundamentally the practices of the New Age movement are Christian practices. We should take them back and incorporate them for Christian use. Uh And I can give you quotes on (laughs) direct quotes um, where they basically said, we are going to subsume the new age the goal and um this this is so dangerous on a number of levels but to be quite honest um this is what our culture is primed for we have an entire generation of christians who are biblically illiterate and theologically ill-informed and um, as a result they can't tell what's up from down and to be quite honest i've even gone to them and said hey if you really care about this you really don't want to get swept up read this or, or study this I just don't have the time. I hear that answer all the time. Well, and, and this kind of goes to a to a conversation we had off the air as well about the lack of emphasis being placed on philosophy anymore. Um, yes. To, to do good philosophy, and, and Paul never said that we shouldn't do philosophy because he talks about taking every thought captive. Yeah. Here again, we're, we're, we're leaving ourselves open to these lies because we don't know yes. how to think well anymore. That's right. That's right. Right, yeah, we we talked about. I think what a couple of weeks ago, Brian, you and I were talking about. If you were to just sit down and and bring no presupposition to the Bible whatsoever, and you were to just re- sit down and read it word for word as you're going through, you would never come up with any of the things that we're seeing that are that are rising to the surface today. Absolutely. The prop the problem is is you have people. Um, saying that this is what the Bible says, but nobody's going back and checking it. Just like what you were saying, Chris, it, 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 people aren't, aren't investing the time, even though 
we are seeing the ability to listen or hear scripture or anything all day long uh, on your phone or any of those. It's a million apps for us to be able to push play on and actually listen to the scripture as we're doing things. And, and, and it's become easier and easier, and yet they're pulling further and further away. Well, and, and this is it, too, is as that continues to happen, and then I'll give you the list of practices here in a second, because we do need to call these out every chance we can get. They're so prevalent. Um, that essentially that some of these churches have now made statements like this, that uh, essentially Scripture gets us to the door of spiritual gifts, but we need to look beyond Scripture, uh, and we need to look for new revelation, which comes from the office of the prophet, and we need to look for new revelation, uh, that, that stuff that just simply exists out in the world. And so there is a walking away even from Scripture as authoritative, a wholesale rejection of as authoritative, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, so, so even in the even in the um, upper levels of that church um, organization, they're detracting from the Bible itself. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I can give you quotes uh, from from things where people just fly out come out and say it. Um, but so, what are some of these practices? Well, wh one of the ones that triggered me on the New Age was the Enneagram. The Enneagram is massively popular. Um, it's in virtually every church I've heard of, including in Summit Church. That's mentioned from the pulpit. Um, not necessarily endorsed, but it is mentioned. And there are many people, uh, even on staff, that are deep into Enneagram, as well as um, people in the congregation. And uh, this is very dangerous. Um, the two there, well, there's really, there's two main guys who speak on the philosophy, theology of the Enneagram. It's Christopher Heritz and Richard Rohr. And uh, Richard Rohr is way off the deep end into universalism and some other things. But uh, Christopher Heritz as well, uh, he flat denies original sin, and he denies that sin is what has separated us from God. And again, I have the quotes on this. Uh, instead, he argues that actually it is our personalities and, the, and their, their, their fracture, so to speak, uh, that actually separates us from God. And that by rediscovering our true identity and our true uh, uh, virtue, we can come back into communion with God. That sounds like Gnosticism. That sounds like Gnosticism. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's Gnosticism. It's knowledge saves you 100%. And uh, Christians are buying into this left, right, and center. Um, one of the big issues with this, though, is, again, it sucks you in because the question that we have is, who are we, right? Who are we? What am I? What is my purpose? And we recognize... That, that the Bible is hard sometimes to get our answers from Scripture, so we just take the easy way out. The Enneagram just tells me. It's no different than a horoscope. There's no science behind it. It's basically just a horoscope or numerology. Um, but it also saps your identity in Christ. Mm. It tries to get you to, to dig deeper into yourself and not to die and take on, uh, essentially find your identity in who Jesus is, not yourself. And um, the, the, the union with Christ, it's going to deny that as well. Like, there are some deep, 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 deep dark stuff uh, with this thing, um, including its claim on universal knowledge, as well as its claim that it is ancient and pre predecesses Christ Christianity, and all world religions can make use of it. I mean, it's pluralistic. It's very dangerous. Um, and I've actually called uh, the publishing company, Zondervan, and asked them why they're publishing these books, and I have not heard back a response. I'm going to call them again. I'm going to ask them again and say, why are you publishing things that are directly opposed to Orthodox Christianity for Christians? Mm -hmm. So I don't have a problem calling people out on this junk. Um, mm -hmm. But it's one of the worst, and it's in a church near you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, so um, 
you know, Alyssa Childers, she covers a lot of this, um, but she comes at it through the progressive Christianity side of it and talks uh, about how that's infiltrating. How does that kind of intertwine with uh, some of this new age stuff that you're talking about with the Enneagram and stuff? Well, so in in terms of progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity, things like that, uh, these are all essentially going to vibe more towards the universalist sense, vibe towards the workspace sense. They're all going to be about what can you get here now and personal helps. So this is going to fit the Enneagram, and that's why he attacks the central doctrines of original sin, sin, salvation in the book, um, because you need to get rid of those for something like Enneagram to, to work and, and really set into a person's heart. You've got to you've got to jettison Orthodox Christianity. You have to have a liberal, washed down, watered down Christianity, or the Enneagram and stuff like that just doesn't work. It supplants the Bible. The point of it is you listen to it, not Scripture, and you'll find that people who get more deep into it do just that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, another one, uh, and you probably heard about this a lot, the yoga issue. Um, yep. A lot of people are very much, ah, it's not bad, or oh, it's just uh, things. Here's the reality. Um, and again. You don't have to trust me. I have done the research on this, though. And the reality is the yogis all say it. Yoga is not primarily for physical practice. Yoga is a spiritual practice. And the number one purpose of yoga is as a predecessor to transcendental meditation and astral projection. The point of it is to bring you into a spiritual state whereby either your soul can separate from your body or you can have a transcendental experience. Um, You cannot separate that out. Now, I mean, I have a whole thing on it in my book, but essentially, you can't separate it out. It is dangerous, and we should not do it as Christians, even for physical fitness. We should be looking to other things, because we're giving room to Hinduistic philosophy. And I've looked at uh, um, uh, Christian yoga attempts, and I'm telling you, they do a very good job sometimes of removing the yoga theology, but you still can't separate the practice from what it's intended to do, and that's where these all fail in my criteria. Mm-hmm. Another one is the health and nutrition field. Uh, this is another one that has ruined people's lives. Um, these new age companies peddling very expensive uh, health products, and then they get people in, get them selling it, they get them into their seminars, which are very new age and antichrist. Oh, you're hitting a multi billion dollar industry here now. percent. <laughs> and I'm just going to, I'll say it right now, uh, Brian, and I'll say it again, which is if you're going to buy health health products, you owe it to God to investigate the company you're buying from and make sure that they are not disseminating a heavily new-age anti-Christian philosophy because by contributing to those things, you are directly contributing to the spread of their philosophy and anti-Christian philosophy if that is indeed what's going on. So, uh, and new-age. Actually, you know what? I'll even do you one up. This is from Newport, New Age Movement, and the Biblical Worldview. Let me me just show you what he said in the 90s. New Age Movement and uh, New Age Movement in the health field. I'll just read you one little quote here. Uh, this is this is gonna you're gonna crack when you see this. Um, here it is. Let me just read this quote. The New Age view on health is dominated, if not controlled, by a consistent and systematic form of spirituality that is radically opposed to biblical Christianity. The broader term holistic health refers to a wide range of alternative approaches to health care with emphasized spiritual and psychological as well as physical dimensions. And uh, the primary trait of the New Age oriented approach to health and healing is the denial of God as creator. This is 
dangerous. It's multi-billion dollars. You're absolutely right. And people are being fleeced left and right. And so it's something we've got to call out. Now, I'm not saying essential oils are evil. I'm not saying health products are evil. What I am saying is that people have health problems. The New Age movement has recognized this, and they're making bank on it and getting their worldview out. Uh-huh. We need Christian health is what we need. We need a biblical, uh, theological understanding of the healthcare field. And I'm working with a nutritionist, actually, to try and develop this over the next couple of years um, to start fighting back against this and bringing this stuff back into Christianity uh, in the sense of uh, health is not, the New Age doesn't have a corner on health, <laughs> you know. Man, you, um, all, you got all kind of projects going on now. Oh, bro, we, we always have projects. <laughs> so that's another one. And then the last one, and we'll probably, I'll, I'll probably hold off on talking about this. Uh, well, okay, so there's prophecy. That, that's the other big one, is uh, the, new, the new apostolic reformation understanding of prophecy and the NAR in general. And that's probably the last big one. Well, now, speak, speaking of that, uh, and, and this has been, you know, Curtis and I have had a lot of conversations about, about this, and, and we've you know, been talking about, you know, there's some confusion about what exactly is meant by the new apostolic reformation. So uh, I guess the first question is, what is it that is exactly meant by the new apostolic reformation? Because I know Michael Brown has had some issues with the terminology there. So, so how would you define exactly or pinpoint sure. exactly the new apostolic reformation? It is a, it is a modern day restoration of the, of the authoritative office of the prophet and the apostle as the primary governor of the church. That's what it is. That's the fundamental and core belief. It's that those uh, offices are now being restored and their restoration is going to lead to a worldwide globalization of Christianity and a reformation on the order of the Protestant Reformation of the of the 1600s. So now, now, Curtis and I were also talking about this. This movement, it seems like, is in to uh, was Dominionism the idea, which comes from a post millennial belief. I, am I correct in understanding that? My understanding of that that they believe that uh, the world can be overtaken to uh, to usher in the return of Christ. Uh, yes, and, and actually it's, it's even more uh, intense than that. Uh, the term, you can look at dominionism, that, that's one of the terms. Kingdom now theology is another very yeah. popular one. Um, and essentially, and even us, people like Rick Warren uh, buy into this as well. Um, if you look at what he teaches, um, the peace plan and things of that nature, you'll find that, there, that most of the major megachurches of America are actually not, when it comes down to it, it's not about the gospel. It's about making this world a Christian utopia. Um, and that's very, very key because that is outside the bounds of what the church should do. That is not one of the three biblically mandated church missions. Um, and there are severe consequences uh, for engaging in that at a church level. Uh, what has essentially happened is, in a lot of churches, unfortunately, is um, pastors have become glorified deacons. Uh, they're glorified administrators. It is no longer, you know, they're told, look, I don't want you spending 30 to 40 hours pro- appropriately handling the word. I want you spending 35 hours uh, doing administrative duties as a pastor and five hours preparing your sermon. That sounds and, like a uh, lot of Baptist churches, too. <laughs> and and that, that, honestly, um, I can tell you right now, I'm just going to tell you right now, that is a direct violation of Scripture, specifically where the apostles say, so that we can rightly handle the word, we are appointing deacons. They've essentially, they, people have put, and, and why? Because deacons, believe it or not, 
Think about it. Deacons are the flashier people now. It's flashier to be a deacon. Why? Because you're doing things. You're making things happen. You're helping people. That's the millennial Gen Z and Gen Y issue. It's not fashionable to be a pastor and have to tell people the truth that hurts. Mm. So we're capitulating on it, left, right, and center. And you had, you had, didn't you, Chris? I'm not trying to interrupt you here, but you had an issue where you were preaching a series and 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 met was met with a controversy preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Am I correct in that? That is correct. Yeah, I just finished a (laughs) nine week series on grace. And I preached on the Sermon on the Mount two weeks, and I was chastised. I was told I could never preach on sin again. And then I said, well, I have to leave. I can't capitulate on the gospel. And I was sending my letter of resignation. Now, and the people uh, were, were getting saved, too. Am I correct? Yeah, no, we, we grew from like 20 to 60 people. Yeah, people were getting saved all over the place. We had 30 salvations that year in the, in the congregation. So, yeah, it was huge. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so the the NAR, again, the problem with it is it is a movement, um, which means that it is a group, an organization of organizations, much like the New Age movement, though I'm not equating the two. um, It is a movement uh, where you have multiple independent organizations all look to the same spiritual leaders for guidance. So they're connected through their theology and spiritual leadership. And that's why it's hard to pin them down because they'll say, well, I'm not affiliated anymore. And they don't want to be affiliated either in terms of, of being known. Um, there's a lot of controversy. Keeping this under the hood is the way to go. But um, we have people, again, I'll say it right here. We have people in Summit Church, congregation members, who see it as their goal is to reform the doctrines of the church uh, to be like the NAR, and they are very knee-deep in the NAR movement stuff, and they want to see the churches change in that direction. There were churches, in fact, I think one of them was an AOG church that actually was was essentially taken forcibly out of the denomination by an NAR pastor, and I had an article on it. I was looking to look it up, but I couldn't find it because it's been a, about a year since I saw it, but this kind of thing can happen. And the reality is, when you look at NAR and their tier training schools, their goal is to get their theology out to the world and that includes all of the churches they want to change doctrine period end of story and that's scary so that's uh, roughly the nar but if you have guys to follow-ups on that feel free and we can, or we can move on either way well curtis do you have any questions concerning concerning that because i know you know we've, we've been discussing uh, th- that quite a bit uh, you have any questions on the nar or yeah yeah you know um i have seen the label NAR become um, a tool uh, to really just kind of categorize or stuff um, any any kind of uh, spiritual thing that people um, are experiencing or reading in scripture and, and discussing that that maybe something is is different than uh, than what a cessationist would would believe or understand. I see them categorizing it and, and abusing that label NAR. In, in that way and and so what my my question is is wouldn't it be wouldn't it be uh, uh, more effective to label that movement that you're talking about or that side of it instead of NAR uh, more into like the seven mountain mandate or um, I- anything that might be moving in that direction because there there are some founding things about uh, NAR that, uh, you know, Peter Wagner was was talking about back in the day that 
that actually do make sense. Uh, yeah, so essentially the issue, though, is this, is that um, uh, it really is a movement that is act that, that is the actual defining characteristic, is the authority of the apostle. That actually is uh, the central issues, the authority of the apostle and the prophet. Um, and that's why NAR is the one that sticks seven mandates that require the, except the authority of the apostle and prophet. Um, but uh, the NAR, that's what it's about. Um, it's modern-day prophets, modern-day apostles. The problem is, is that they now have influence over 65 million Christians uh, in the country. That's the problem. That's why it seems like it covers everything, because their influence is insanely huge because of their music and because of their training schools. They have essentially infiltrated every branch of Christianity at this point. It's unreal, uh, the, the level and of their reach. And um, the problem is all those other theologies are our theologies, but the NAR in general, uh, that is the overarching thing. Now, the problem is, is you have guys like um, uh, Strange Fire. Oh, gosh, I'm with John MacArthur. Yeah, John MacArthur. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It frustrates me because the, the way, one, I don't think you should mock anybody. And there, there are times when he, they get into that mocky sort of attitude. The second issue right. is that what he's really attacking is essentially NAR-type stuff. Uh -huh. and, it, and it's funny because he even makes comments like concessionary comments to uh, continuationist attacks. And it's almost funny when he does it because you're like, wait a second. You're like, well, he has to because some of these major scholars that are legitimate scholars like Grudem are continuationists. Right. So the thing, if he calls them, what is it, non-stationists? I think that's what he calls them. <laughs> uh -huh. the thing. Uh, but the funny thing is, it actually, the NAR is, that is the right name for it. A great books on it. Um, uh, Holly Pivik. And uh, Douglas, I think Douglas Guyvet uh, wrote a popular level and a, uh, a scholar level book on the New Apostolic Reformation. Phenomenal books. Highly recommended. They take all those theologies that are typically held and they critique all of them in there. It's very good stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say NAR is the appropriate term um, because the defining factor is they have said the pastors and deacons and elders no longer run the church. It's the apostles and prophets. Mm -hmm. It's a, and there's new revelation. That's the other big thing. There's flat out new revelation in addition to scripture. Those are really the defining characteristics. Yeah. So this view, and, there's this viewpoint of dominionism. So that that's that's one of the things. And so th this new revelation that they're bringing in that that's another great concern as well as so so that I'm understanding what you're saying. The the addition of apostles and prophets ruling over the church with this new revelation over against Scripture and the traditional pastoral, uh, pastor-deacon yeah. well, format of the church. And, and here's the thing, Brian, and guys, some of the guys who love this, some of the big-name guys that have universities named after them, literally made comments like, uh, you know, God's going to kill you for speaking against me. They oh. literally issued death threats like that against people to call them into submission. Like, it's frustrating because people often look to these guys as the pinnacles because of their spiritual gifts and their miracle ministries or all these other things, but their lives are, I mean, to be quite honest, in some cases, absolute trash. Mm. And it's really a shame. And then you get into the whole issue of, are their miracles even real? The reality is, is I can say this because I know this is the case. Uh, there was a guy with, uh, he had like about a week left to live, and I was called to, hey, Chris, can you come down and pray for me to be healed? I said, sure, I'll be more than happy to. So I drove down to Charlotte, 
guy had stage four cancer, metastatic cancer. I prayed for him. Didn't follow up, but I just prayed for him for about an hour. It was a great time. He felt encouraged. And uh, six months later, a guy calls him back and says, that dude is free of cancer. Oh, wow. The doctors had written him off. He was on hospice. He was dead. He couldn't get up. Free of cancer. Um, I've had a number of things like that. I've also prayed for people who are missionaries or phenomenal men and women of God who died. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee because they're not in the millennial kingdom. The problem is, is that we look at these miracle guys and the way they're doing certain things, and I'm talking about specific people, I won't give names right now, but the way they're doing it is so off base, it's ridiculous, and it's causing damage. And sometimes, and they've even admitted this behind the scenes, another one, uh, though I I don't know, he seems to have gone kind of, and and it makes sense that he would go very hard in the other direction. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Hin, the Hin. uh, Benny Hin. Which one? Uh, Benny Hin. No, it's his nephew. It was his Costy, nephew. Costy him. And he's written some phenomenal books. Now, he, I think he's probably moving... And it makes sense, because he was in the abuse category of people being abused by this. Uh, he, he talks about how his family justified lying about healings to increase people's, quote, faith. Wow. Sorry. This is not okay. Right. <laughs> right. Bad theology. Bad theology breeds bad practice. Bad right. Bible interpretation breeds bad practice. So... Mm-hmm. You know, this is the stuff we've got to deal with now, and and uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're, where we're hitting. Well, Chris, uh, we're, we're we're wrapping up on time. It looks like we've got uh, just about uh, about f- about four or five minutes remaining. Uh, what encouragement? Th- this is a very turbulent time we're facing. Uh, what encouragements would you offer our audience to help in their spiritual walk in these uncertain times, and maybe even some safeguards to protect sure. themselves against? Not only the NAR, but we could talk about Jehovah Witnesses, uh, we could talk about Mormonism, several other things out there that uh, lead people astray. I mean, we're bombarded with so much information these days. I've heard numerous people say that I don't know which way to turn because there's all this information out there. What's what's some safeguards and and some, some advice you could give our listeners? Well, you're exactly right. There's information and a lack of wisdom. And that's the fundamental issue the, with the internet. Tons of information, very little wisdom. Uh, my comment would be this, is that um, first, God is sovereign and God is in control. Uh, and praise him for that, to be quite honest with you. Uh, in the mm-hmm. middle of COVID, in the middle of all these other things we've got going on, um, the Lord knows everything that's happening. He's seen it all. He's seen it all before and uh, beforehand. And uh, he knows how this is going to end. We don't have to fear. He promised that the world wouldn't end in a flood again uh, until the second coming, until the end times. And uh, we, we have nothing to fear from this stuff. If we die, and this is a reality, if we die and we are believers, we hold Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, um, then the reality is we have eternal life, we'll be in heaven, we'll receive a resurrection, and a new heaven, new earth. So the Christian truly has nothing to fear. Now, it can still be intense, and we don't want to get waylaid by false doctrine. The only defense against that is know your Bible better and make sure you're reading it right. And so I would heavily recommend uh, getting a commentary um, Moody Bible Commentary is a, is a great whole Bible commentary that people could grab. That is an um, amazing commentary. I highly recommend that one. Yeah, it's really good. So, and you know, you look at that, you're not going to go wrong. You know, they're not going to lead you astray. You know, um, make sure the people you're reading are inerrantists. Make sure that they are people who hold Scripture in high authority. Uh, make sure they're people that hold orthodoxy. And uh, if they don't, and here's my comment: if somebody's not upfront about their theology and about their beliefs. 
dropping like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> That's a sure indication that those things are either faulty, wrong, or so unimportant that it's not worth listening. Mm. We've got to be more selective about what we listen to. But my encouragement is uh, stick to the Bible, and you're going to be okay. Like, that's, that is the reality of it. You will be okay. Well, and of course, one of those resources we want to encourage everyone to listen to is the Bellator Christie podcast, right, Curtis? Yes, sir. <laughs> and, pick, and pick up the, the latest edition of Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, it's been good, fellas. This has been a good podcast. I enjoy it. I've enjoyed it, and uh, I, I appreciate the information, Chris, and it's been good to have you on here as a guest, and we will uh, certainly have you on again, and uh, good luck on your studies and, and your uh, dissertation. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you too, Curtis, and I hope you guys have a great night. Thank you, Chris. We at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and as a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. I am Brian Chilton and you are listening to the Bellator Moment. The Bellator Moment is a new feature of the Bellator Christie podcast. Before we adopted the Q&A format, I would engage certain newsworthy topics from a biblical perspective. Recently, news broke that Liberty University eliminated its philosophy department. As an alumnus and Ph.D. student, this troubled me greatly. The university released a statement indicating that the dissolvement of the program stemmed from dipping enrollment numbers. On the positive side, the university noted that top-tier team of theologians, apologists, and philosophers were working to ensure that the school's core curriculum considers various philosophical and apologetic training. Gary Habermas is quoted on the site saying that this was one of the most exciting developments that he had been involved in since his time at Liberty. Philosophy has been nixed by several universities. In an effort to push STEM training, many schools of higher learning have dumped their humanities departments in general. Humanities include sociology, English, history, philosophy, the classics, and the arts. Writing for Forbes magazine in a 2018 column, Willard Nix noted that the great problems associated with dismissing the humanities. His focus was on the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point, where politicians had stripped programs in the humanities from the core curriculum. Dix explains the educational dilution that arises when universities are run as a business rather than a school. What is lost when humanities are no longer taught at the university level? 
Well, unfortunately, the lack of humanities already shows what is stake. Recent surveys denote that between 40 to 66 percent of millennials know little to nothing about the Holocaust. Furthermore, rising numbers of individuals accept conspiracy theories which are unfounded by evidence. These two areas alone show the lack of historical and philosophical training that is afforded to modern students. But who is to blame for this? Is it that individuals are no longer desiring to learn topics in the humanities? Or is it that humanities are not the money-making programs that STEM programs are? No matter what the answer is, or what it may be, educators must emphasize history and philosophy as well as the other departments of the humanities. We cannot know who we are unless we know where we've been. Furthermore, we cannot use sound reasoning if we do not think well. If these trends do not change, I fear that STEM students will uh, be individuals who are good at engineering and math, but who know little, very little about ethics, soci social trends, epistemological and ontological truths. They may be individuals who can produce certain things, but will they know how the government itself is run? These are questions that all of us need to consider as we move forward in our times. Humanities and certainly philosophy are programs worth defending. I am Brian Chilton, and this is the Bellator Moment on the Bellator Christie Podcast. It's my privilege to announce to you that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available on Kindle. So you can get the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics in all formats now. It's available on Kindle, as well as paperback, hardcover, and you can also find it on the Nook at BarnesandNoble.com. So please go and order your copy today and share it, or maybe you'd like to share it with a friend. Whatever the case may be, help us as we get the word out and let people know that we have a faith worth believing in. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.